0: Parent mentor and certified family life counselor, Diane Moore, was recently interviewed for her thoughts on teen suicide. Some of her comments can be heard in a recent COOV.com story featuring Aaron Chidester, executive director of Unite for Life. Following is the full interview with Diane Moore. So there's nothing that can, that can uh, make suicide make sense at all. And so that's why it's taboo, because our brains prohibit us from living with uh, something we can't make sense of. And it just wants a- to work on it and work on it. Work on it meaning? Figure it out. Solve it. Even if you, you know, have had a suicide that is um, way in the past decades, if you haven't gotten some sort of resolve, you've got to kind of figure it out even if it's wrong. you got to figure it out so that you can sleep at night. Or... Tuck it away. Some people have more capacity to tuck it away, but it's your brain's still working on it. It's still agitated somewhere working on it.
1: Is that why there's such a compulsion to explain why?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So we can sleep at night. Yeah. We need to know why so we can have resolve this peace.
1: And these kinds of things doesn't seem to me like was meant to be explained. Yeah, but what happens when people suffer? What do they they want? They always want to know why. Why me? I know.
0: Why? Why, why? What what good does it do for you to get the why answered? It never helps. So you get this mysterious disease once the doctor gives you a diagnosis, and you figure out why you have it. Does that help you? What helps is to make it go away. But people do have a compulsion to know why. Why did why did my child take their life or why did my child's friend take their life I need to know
1: is that so that we can possibly change our present
0: if it's not your child absolutely you want to inoculate your child against it absolutely
1: prevention the why mm-hmm. helps people answer the question of how do I prevent this from mm-hmm. happening
0: safety's first How do I keep me and the people that I love safe? Whether you're thinking about it actively or not, it's still a huge drive. So if I understand why, then I can work against it in my own family. Or even if I can't work against it, at least I can feel like, okay, I'm safe from that. If I can feel safe, I'll sleep better at night.
1: It's common to Mm -hmm. everybody to respond this way. Is this a form of grief?
0: Oh, yeah, to sort out why. Grieving is um, all that comes before mourning or burying things and learning how to move on. Um, the grieving is all that thrashing. First, you know, hard, having a hard time believing that it's true, and then accepting that it's true, and then asking why. Being angry, working really hard to fix it. If that's a part of the process, and then finding out that you can't, and
1: as you're ta- as you're saying that, I'm thinking of the word acceptance. That is a difficult thing to do,
0: especially in our culture. Different cultures uh, they do acceptance differently. It's the Serenity Prayer. God, give me uh, that to, the ability to look at things and see what I can control and what I can't control, and to change what I can change. And accept what I can't change but how the mind works and and the mind that's been enculturated in America is I can change a lot other countries the poor countries I've I've traveled around a lot and the poorer countries the people um, tend to accept more because they haven't had the power to change things as much and so they accept
1: That's a great reminder of how we need to stay balanced in everything. Mm
0: -hmm. You can't play the card that life gave you until you accept it. So that keeps you from living in the present. It keeps you from playing your cards. And life is not the cards you're handed. It's how you play those cards. So you're delaying playing your cards by delaying accepting them.
1: I wonder... If that is the reason why so many people who have very difficult circumstances in life have overcome them while I still (laughs) sit here with what I consider to be difficult but is not is nowhere near as difficult as what their circumstances are Mm -hmm. but yet I still stagnate I still am in the same rut and cannot get over it it's the matter of accepting the present Mm-hmm. accepting the cards that have been dealt to me and and playing them
0: and they've had no choice probably because of their circumstances because they're when the circumstances are really dire you say uncle i give up um i can't i can't change these these are too big for me and then i have to play with, play the cards and as you play those difficult cards you build muscle you have to they're big old huge cards they're awful they're heavy and when you lift them day after day, you get stronger. That's why a lot of extraordinary people have been through a lot of extraordinary times. And you wouldn't want to trade places with them, generally, if you compared life stories. Think like, I wish I had your life. Well, try living my life from the beginning. You know, you'll see why I'm strong.
1: Tell me why suicide, that topic, is not open discussion.
0: Mm-hmm. Well... I think as a parent educator that it's it's a tremendous topic to to just enter. It's scary and sacred and um terrifying. It's humbling because we're walking into a parent's worst nightmare and we're trying to make a why why are trying to answer it, why? And it, it's not the same for every family. And so it's almost like um, we're walking in on an open wound of a family to cr- try to do some forensics. And it seems cruel. But for the families who are desperately saying, how do I help inoculate my kids? We kind of have to go to that topic. That's why it's um, something that people don't like to talk about or it's, it's, you know, you're not going to see it on the news because we're afraid. We're afraid it's like a virus our kids are going to catch. But you ask kids out there, if you were to interview a bunch of kids, how many of you have thought about it? Way high up in the 80s. 80% of kids have thought about it.
1: The kids are talking about it. Yeah. They're having that conversation privately, it seems, and they Mm -hmm. don't get the other side. Well, their brains are... Their logical reasoning
0: part of their brain, if you were to hook it up to see how much electricity is going through it, it would power a nightlight. If you hooked up their limbic system, um, it, it would be like a forest fire. A lot of development going on They're in the, lim- the the limbic system, which is a um, five lobes in your brain that thinks it thinks in emotional footprints, and it is um, it is a uh, it's a feeling or your social uh, emotional part of your brain, and it's it's not uh, it, it's experiential. It learns through experience learns through stories Um, kids are out there learning that's why you know they used to do apprenticeships during adolescence because kids especially uh, boys who when they think or feel I should say in their limbic system they don't talk because it's not connected women or females They shoot those feelings up and process them near the speech center, but boys don't, or men don't. So they're going to feel and they're going to do. And so that's where the development is happening in adolescence. So we tend to look at kids' brains or adolescents' brains and say, say, well, they can't make good decisions. Well, they can. They just need to borrow a prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex they borrow is generally their parents and so I'll tell parents be sure and lend that to your children meaning that you're with them when they go see movies or you've been with them enough that they kind of have a framework to work with and when they come home from a movie you ask them about the movie that's how you lend your prefrontal cortex because they know that there's this other part of themselves they're still not separated from that um, makes them think that way it's like a child or a teenager watching a movie will feel differently about that movie if they're alone in a room and then mom walks in now they see things they didn't see how come because they're borrowing her prefrontal cortex and all of a sudden they're like ashamed or well you know this this movie is disturbing where it wasn't before so, their world needs to be flooded with significant people i that's that is um, that 's a passion of my life is to um bring awareness to that that we we tend to glum our teenagers together and say they all want to be together and developmentally they 're supposed to attach to a group that 's all true, but they also need what I call buffalo leaders those big guys out there the uh, formidable adults that have influence with them, who lead through influence. That's why I call them buffaloes, because the buffaloes, they steer. The big buffaloes in the middle of a of a herd will steer with just a nudge of a shoulder. So you just kind of surround them with these teenage kids, and there are people out there gifted in the world, gifted with working with teenagers, and they need to surround themselves and be in the midst of them, and not lead up front, but lead with a nudge, be there so that there's a prefrontal cortex in the room. There's a gear shift that needs to happen with a parent between elementary and adolescence. And that's hard to negotiate because a parent knows how to be a parent of an elementary school a student or at least one of the parents generally will be really good at it. <clears throat> and then when that shift time happens, they don't know what to do with them. All they know is the, the teenager doesn't want to be with them anymore. The truth is the teenager does not want to be engulfed by them. And the teenager wants to have their own emotions separate than their parents, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own uh, frame of reference. They want to start building their own frame of reference, which is good. You want your, your child to be doing that under your roof rather than for the first time when they get out from under your roof. So the gear shift that happens in a parent uh, to make that possible is is hard to do sometimes because it feels like you've set your course all these years to control this child, and now you've got to kind of release them. I say 12 and under, raise them. 12 and older, release them. And then you begin a process of release and uh, for all of recorded history that child at 12 and 13 was a man or a woman up until the last couple hundred years or so when we invented adolescence it's not working out so well so we need to make that gear shift and really begin to respect who they are as a person that's hard to do when you haven't when you've been too busy spoiling them rather than raising them, you know? So you got to really make sure those first 12 years are filled with the lessons that they need in character development so that you can release them. You know, make sure that they get the authority piece right and and truthfulness, stuff like that. They're, they're paying attention. And um, then you can release them and show respect to them as a person, as an emerging person, and kind of put yourself back behind. You don't lead from the front anymore. They come to you with a problem, you say, well, I don't know, what are you going to do? You know, don't be so smart to solve problems. They have feelings, uh, quit shushing them. We tend to shush our babies from the beginning and say, oh, you know, we want to make the cries go away. We want to change whatever they're feeling unless it's happy which makes no sense, because that's not how people live, but um, to help them navigate their feelings without engulfing them. So allowing them to have feelings they don't share um, is really hard, Uh, but being ready for them to share their feelings and watching and monitoring that so that if you know it's getting pretty dark in there, that you make sure that somebody gets inside. But uh, when they are open, the reason they don't let you inside is because they sense criticism or that you're going to engulf those feelings and tell them what to do with them. But if you can, uh, like the buffalo, kind of come along and just be in the midst and have the influence to nudge a little to give them tools for how to manage their emotions. Because suicide is boiled down Is problem-solving. It's just problem-solving. And you've got an immature mind that's on fire of development in in, in the social-emotional part. Especially for a boy. That's why boys are five times more likely to follow through and uh, actually commit suicide. It's because they feel and they do. It goes straight to the brainstem and they do something
1: they're
0: they are not going to exactly they're not going to ship those feelings up and talk about them as easy cuz they don't have the brain capacity
1: or contemplate them or chew mm-hmm. them over or write them down in their diary all mm-hmm. of these thoughts and feelings like girls are more prone to do
0: mm-hmm. and so uh when they have a problem and they don't know yet that they can feel like they're going to die and not die they can have a problem that's so awful, they just want to die. And what comes into their mind is, I know how to end this. I know how to end this immediate hurt. And that's why when there's a suicide, you're not going to see it splashed all over the news, because it is an idea, the power of that idea, when there are children out there hurting or kids out there hurting. Uh, parents don't want that, but why they've seen the power of that going out there is a, hmm... I hadn't thought of that one yet.
1: I'll just generalize and say most adults have the tools to problem solve Mm -hmm. or to understand that the problem at the moment in front of me will pass. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow will be a different day. I'll feel differently than I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, Suicide seems to be the problem-solving fad. Mm
0: Mm-hmm
1: rather than going and looking for a real answer of what decisions do I make differently Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, whatever those processes are.
0: Well, you can see how the teen brain is not equipped to do it by itself or with its friends. It actually gets worse with friends. That's why it's not in the news. The only thing that's going to make it better for teenagers and suicide is for the gifted people, the people that are good with teenagers. And usually in a husband and wife situation, one is better with the other. One was one is better at elementary and the other is better at adolescence. And for couples to get that and to kinda yield to the other partner and say, I gotta learn how to do this. I gotta learn how to nudge instead of lead with a stick and um, get in the midst of them, and wait for them to spill, watch them and give them tools when they're open, teach them how to manage the little things, teach them problem solving, get excited about the problems that they have. Even in elementary, get excited about the problems they have. That's why the the theme of my radio show is every problem's an opportunity. If, if we lived life like that, and we really got excited with every problem, And then we teach problem-solving from day one with our kids. Um, It's not a total inoculation, but if parents want to talk about inoculation, it's helpful. Do you know what inoculations are? It's where you give a little case of stuff. So that means when a child is 10, you might let them wrestle with the problem a little bit longer than you would have. Uh... If you had that perspective, problems are not bad. That's what childhood is about is learning to problem solve.
1: Right. Our problems aren't the problem, right? It's how we handle them. Yeah. That becomes the problem.
0: Yeah. If you absolutely have a perfect childhood and I've worked with people who have perfect childhoods and it really stinks for them. If you don't have your first real life crisis till you're like 35, I feel so sorry for you. You're going to be devastated. You're gonna be devastated. You're gonna feel like you have a big target on you. Why, why me, why me? This is out of the blue. You're just, we're six months in counseling just for the shock of it. <laughs> right. So getting excited about problems and knowing your number one role as a parent is to teach in problem solving. Get excited and, and uh, then when you see it in the community, To put it in those terms, it helps de-romanticize the idea. We do need to de-romanticize the idea by making it simple. People say, well, drugs and depression. Yeah, but look at the statistics. And kids who go to drugs are those who don't know how to problem solve. It is a way of problem solving. It's an ineffective way of problem solving but it's it is problem solving at its at its core
1: that is very simplistic,
0: yeah, and the teenage brain's not meant to do that very well, so we 've got to have uh people with very strong prefrontal cortexes in the room yeah. and teenagers um who uh, for one reason or another hit adolescence. And have problems to solve left over from childhood it kind of sometimes wrap themselves in bobware, in attitude and so they feel very unlovable they are sometimes very unlovable it's difficult for them to be loved and so um, parents and um, leaders in the community don't know what to do with them don't know how to get into that world and we need to start um, Seeing it for what it is that's that's just a mask there's always a wound under that bulb wire. Mm. And get people who can get in there It's just like there's people that are gifted with second graders there are people that are gifted with uh, adolescence
1: What would a parent do before any problems ever start
0: arising
1: mm-hmm. what What do parents do to be proactive
0: okay well for all of human development the the basic two drives are the need to attach and the need to have a sense of self the need to be a part and that is never more pronounced than in adolescence so the parent has to remember they've got to keep that attachment alive and well That the, the Student might be communicating, you know, I want you at arm's length, but they won't do that all the time Being okay with being held at arm's length Understand this is a developmental thing so you don't have to get threatened by it and you stay strong and Peaceful and a pack leader and giving the child what they need uh, Letting them have that space. I'm not talking about space to go off and uh, do whatever they want That's not safe, but Uh, the ability to think independently to feel independently and at the same time to um, keep that attachment alive and well that's complicated but um, working to accomplish that with their teenager it takes it takes a strong sense of core self for a parent say it's okay I don't need anything from my child this is a one-way relationship I'm the dirt they grow in so I'm gonna give this to my child and my needs are elsewhere and when they're um, coming up with the the barbed wire against me I'm like okay we're right on schedule you know and that's okay uh, I'm gonna work on just the behavior stuff I'm not gonna attack their core but just say I get that you're frustrated but you can't talk to me like that okay We'll talk about that, where or, or you're still not going to go to that party. I can't let you, you know. Um, being calm. And then um, being attached enough so that you can notice when the child is going to a dark place. Knowing your child's uh, temperament so that you know when it's changing. Some kids are just right-brained. They're they're just art- artists and they're um, negative Kind of by nature. And um encouraging them to get that out. Write me a song or just write a song. Sounds like you're an artist and and, and appreciate the who that child is, even when their temperament is negative, it's an artistic. Uh you read the psalms. They're mostly negative, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I had a, a boy once, the parents had him send a a song that he'd written to me they felt it was awfully dark and oh my goodness it was dark and i'm sure they wanted me to condemn it but i just wrote back to the boy it was on facebook i said i it's beautiful it's just not finished and he said what do you mean and i said well where's the upturn i mean what happens at the end here there's where's the ray of hope that makes it inspirational and so he's like you're right and he finished writing it, and it's like beautiful. <laughs> Read the Psalms; many of them are that way. And appreciating your child's temperament for what it is, normalizing that, but coming in in such a way that uh, doesn't feel critical. Kids are like allergic to criticism. They're going to feel like you're critical even when you're not. You can give them a compliment, and they feel like it's a criticism in those early adolescent years. And, you know, if you have a child that keeps doing that, at a good time, you know, we go in and out generally of having good times and cooperation, and, and you feel like there's good communication going on, and then those times where everything just goes off whack. Uh, but at a good time, saying, you know what I noticed is, sometimes I'll give you a compliment, and, and it's received so differently, teach me how to talk to you in a way, in, when you're there, in that place, that so that it doesn't come across that way, because that's not what I mean, you know. So problem solve at the good times, but if you can get a child to share their feelings, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Don't micromanage them. When you get into those places, consider it just a sacred place and um, sit with them and feel it. It's okay. You think, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to feed that. I don't want to feed that. Depression is not made out of feeling sadness. Depression is made out of shelving sadness, not feeling it, not wanting to feel it, folding it away, thinking like it's like lasagna. You've eaten half of it. You stick it in the fridge thinking, I'll just leave it in there for about nine months. You pull it out. and My goodness, it's grown back. <laughs> it's nothing you want to eat. That's depression. It's sadness. That was just sadness at the time. Don't be afraid of sadness. Feel it with guys you gotta do something. Go do something with your kid to uh, spend it. All emotions just need to be felt and spent. It's healthy.
1: So being sad isn't necessarily bad.
0: If you don't have sad, you can't have glad. It comes out of the same reservoir. That's what I'm excited about, people coming in for counseling, because i like, you know what your capacity for glad is going to be? Let's wallow in this sad a little bit. Don't worry, I'll help you not go to depression. Depression is just being stuck. We're not going to get stuck. We're just going to wallow around in it. The reason you're stuck is you're resisting it. You're not accepting. You accept it. Oh, the weight of the world falls on you for a while. But yeah, it creates a huge cavern in you. As soon as the sadness rolls out, guess what comes in? Contentment. Happiness, joy, euphoria it takes turns. We want to live at euphoria all the time. And we weren't created. We'd die. <laughs> we would die of the stress. That's just as much stress as being sad all the time.
1: You have a phrase stay in the hurt. Mm-hmm. If you don't stay in the hurt, yeah. it turns to anger.
0: Or depression. We, we think that depression is hurt, um, depression is running. It's just like a headache. You get a headache, start feeling it. The reason your headache gets worse is because your muscles tighten up because you're trying to not feel it. But if you go, I just want to feel my headache. I'm, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just sitting here feeling my headache. You want your headache to go away faster? Feel it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that feels. Oh, I feel every little bit of that pain. I just feel it. Everything relaxes. It goes away faster. <laughs> but you're not meant to feel feelings alone. Especially sadness and gladness. Take those two and share them. So, bring teaching your children to share what's inside, and doesn't mean that you know they're they're in a hole. You don't jump in the hole with them, but you feel it and you go. It sounds like, boy, it sounds like that that's very sad, or that feels very heavy to me one one game you can play and uh, is when your kids are feeling their feelings is to say, describe that to me if it were a color, what color would it be? what color would it be? Um, and you would not do this with everything and with preschoolers when they get a little bit more sophisticated uh, like in adolescence to start playing that game because they're having a harder time expressing putting those feelings that are a huge development into words. Uh, So I would start there. What color are those feelings? And it's surprising how, if you think about it, every feeling has a color. People will generally say it's black, and I'll say, well, what shade of black? And they'll say, hmm, you know it's not really black. It's more like murky gray. Ooh, that sounds confusing. Now, see, as soon as a person puts it into a color I feel it or you know what it's not black it's like metal like oh that feels heavy I feel it when you put it in a color oh it's red ooh that sounds very angry or, what, what shade of red blood red ooh that sounds hot ready to spend that or it's it's just a dark it's kind of dead anger isn't it it's been there a while yeah or it's faded out feels kind of helpless anger mm-hmm you tell me the color of your feeling, I'll feel it. And then ask him, where do you feel that in your body? Usually we feel feelings in our body. And helps them be aware and feel them. And we think, oh, we shouldn't do that. We're encouraging them to feel sad. That's the best way to get through it. Spend it. Feel it. Express it. Get it out. It's healthy. Hey, Jesus wept. I mean, he sobbed. That word racked with sobs. Before he went and raised the guy from the dead. It makes no sense. People say, well, he was trying to comfort Mary. Hey, if you want to comfort Mary, go raise her brother from the dead. What was he doing? He was spending it. Because he was human. You have it. You spend it. You don't try to live in the next moment when you know you're going to raise him from the dead. You live in the moment you have and you'll be healthy.
1: Mm.
0: Teaching your kids to do that. Our limbic system of our brain, it's just that, that like childlike part of our brain. It doesn't distinguish between our husband or our father or our wife or our mother. And it doesn't distinguish when things are bad, it's death. So we've got to teach our kids that when sometimes we feel death, it doesn't mean death. You'll live through it, and you'll have these feelings and you learned how to talk yourself off the cliff. But you have to talk your kids off the cliff first, <laughs> so they can learn how to do it.
1: Is teaching our children the importance and value of life going to help them not give in to those emotions and make that final choice? Parents may feel like, if I just teach my kid the value of life and how important mm-hmm. they are, and if I could just get through to them and make them understand how valuable they are, then they won't take their life.
0: Oh, that's a whole other topic. How do you communicate the value of life? Parents want to take them to a seminar or sit down and have a conversation. That's not how they learn the value of life. They learn it every day in every file of their life at every interaction. They learn it by how much time you spend with them. They learn it by your facial expressions whenever they have been naughty. That's why I encourage parents when you come across your children in discipline that you look at them with this unconditional regard, you know, that you look at them like you like them. Um, That's how they learn their value. And so, if a parent wants to think about consciously teaching them the value of life, that's really impossible to overwrite all the other files. They're going to learn that by who you are to them. Diane Moore can be found online at parenttalknw.com. For more information about Unite for Life, please visit their website, number 4 lifecom
1: USD Media